Liz, why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself, say who you are and what you do. Hi, I'm Liz Dye. I am a columnist at Above the Law. I write the Substack Law and Chaos pod, uh, and I am a co-host of the Opening Arguments podcast. Liz is also a lawyer herself, though she doesn't practice anymore. I wanted to bring her on the show to talk about lawsuits, specifically Elon Musk and lawsuits, because this year he's been embroiled in a lot, sued by former Twitter employees or people who say they've been defamed on Twitter, now X, plus ongoing disputes with the Securities and Exchange Commission and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And of course, Musk has filed his own suits, something that began even before he actually ran X. Well, so he walked in the door after being forced to buy Twitter against his will. He offered 5420, which was like the world's most expensive weed joke. And then he tried to back out of the deal. And Twitter, Twitter's board couldn't let him back out of the deal. That would be a breach of fiduciary duty to reject an offer for the shares, which was like 30% above what they were trading at. They, they had no choice but to sue him to make him go through with his offer. And they hired this white shoe law firm named Wachtell Lipton. And Wachtell Lipton did, in fact, force Musk to go through with the deal. And when he was forced to do it and, and got in control after he wandered in with that ridiculous kitchen sink, he turned around and sued Wachtell Lipton to try and recoup the fees that it had gotten by, by forcing him to do what he said he would, by forcing him to live up to his legal obligations. So really, lawsuits have been a part of this thing since before it was X, really from the moment he walked through the door carrying that sink. Absolutely. But the lawsuits are getting kind of progressively sillier, progressively less like lawsuits and more like lawsuit-shaped objects. Um, really, they are at this point kind of a way to inflict pain on people he doesn't like. Now, Musk is suing the liberal watchdog group Media Matters over their report showing ads next to white supremacist content on X. And this case is heading down a road that Elon may not want to be on. Today on the show, where all this litigiousness is going. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. To understand the Media Matters suit, we have to go back to a previous lawsuit. In July, X, a.k.a. Twitter, sued a small nonprofit called the Center for Countering Digital Hate after they put out a report that said the company failed to act on 99% of hate-promoting tweets from Twitter Blue subscribers. So what, what they did was they reported a bunch of really offensive tweets, tweets that said things like the black culture has done more damage than the Klan ever did or wow. diversity is a code word for white genocide. These are things which clearly violate Twitter's terms of service. And they were being tweeted from accounts which had blue check marks. And so these accounts had blue check marks and CCDH reported them and reported these really offensive tweets, which pretty clearly violated the site's terms of service. And the, the posts did not come down. Almost all of them stayed up. All right. So that's not, you know, that's not going to be an academic study. It's not, it's not methodology that's going to be accepted for any, you know, peer-reviewed paper. But what they reported was not incorrect. It was, it was factually true. 
So the first thing that happened was that Musk got his kind of in-house lawyer, Alex Spiro, who works at Quinn Emanuel, another very fancy law firm, right, to to write a letter, a nasty letter threatening to sue CCDH for a whole bunch of things, including violation of the Lanham Act, which is this, uh, you know, a, a trademark thing. It was it was really ridiculous. CCDH published multiple reports focused on X, including one in which the organization estimated that just 10 reinstated accounts publishing hateful content could generate up to $19 million in ad revenue. So what they did was they looked at all of these people who were let back on, all of these kind of neo-Nazis and people who were tremendously offensive and anti-vaxxers, people like Andrew Tate you know, an indicted sex trafficker, or Andrew Anglin, who is a neo-Nazi, the founder of the Daily Stormer, um, sites like that. And CCDH kind of estimated how much money Musk made, Twitter made, by letting these tremendously offensive and harmful people back on to to the site. And what they did was they used data pulled from a third-party provider called Brandwatch. Brandwatch is this company which allows advertisers to sort of assess the impact of their ads. They they are presumably licensed using Twitter's own API. And Musk was really pissed about this. So what happened was that Musk sued the Center for Countering Digital Hate in the Northern District of California, and he sued them for violations of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act because he said that they unlawfully used this third-party data provider, and he charged them with breach of contract and interference with contract and a bunch of kind of garbage contract claims, um, which are essentially a way to penalize it for speech. He wanted to hold them responsible for the flight of advertisers, which he attributed to CCDH's claims. Hmm. And that's not that's not a real legally cognizable claim. And so what happened was that Roberta Kaplan, who is CCDH's lawyer, and also you, your listeners may know her, she is E. Jean Carroll's lawyer, and she also argued the Supreme Court case, which which was seminal in knocking down the Defensive Marriage Act. She's a really, really good Big deal. Lawyer. A really big, big deal. deal. A really big deal. And so she has told Twitter, like, you don't want to do this. And if you make us do this, we're going to engage in discovery and you're not going to like it. Because looking under the hood at Twitter is going to is going to force them to disclose all kinds of things that they don't want to disclose about about what it really does mean for Twitter financially to let all of these Nazis back on the platform. And, you know, maybe CCDH got it right and maybe CCDH got it wrong. Suppose that it's not like $5 million, you know, suppose it's only $4 million to let Nazis back on the platform. Is that going to be a win for Twitter to, to, you know, to admit that in open court? I don't think so. And I don't think it's going to bring those advertisers back. It's a bad lawsuit. It's a it's clearly a slap suit, which is a, it's a strategic lawsuit against public participation. So it's basically a lawsuit seeking to stifle speech. Um, but this lawsuit is kind of, you know, normal. It's filed in the right place. It's got lawyers whom you would expect to be representing a billion dollar company. Yep. And it's it's fashioned in it, it. I think the claims are not great, but it's fashioned in the in the manner of a normal lawsuit. So at this point, CCDH has moved to dismiss the suit and has filed an anti-slap motion, which is to penalize somebody for filing a bad faith lawsuit seeking to suppress speech on matters of public importance. The hearing on that is scheduled for February 
23rd. Why do you think it's important to understand that suit as a backdrop to the Media Matters one? Well, I think when Musk came in, he styled himself, he continues to style himself as a free speech absolutist, as a warrior for free speech. But when he came in, he immediately did a whole bunch of things which were not in support of free speech, right? And it's been a very clear escalation from there, right? In in you could call it that he's gotten red pill, or maybe he was always this sort of person, but to where he is now engaging with openly anti-Semitic content and amplifying it and saying, you know, that the great replacement theory that Jews are bringing brown immigrants into this country in in an effort to undermine it, that, that he's he's treating that as if it is you know, true. He's he's backing up people who say those things. So what started as him playing footsie with accounts like Cat Turd or, you know, other, sorry to say it, shit posters, has, has escalated to him amplifying Nazi content. So let's talk about the Media Matters suit. Why in X's complaint does the company say it sued Media Matters in the first place? Well, Again, if we think back to the CCDH suit, what Twitter wants is to hold Media Matters responsible for advertisers leaving the company. So it wants to hold Media Matters, which is, you know, it's a nonprofit. It's it's a bigger nonprofit than CCDH, but it's a it's a nonprofit. What it wants is to hold Media Matters responsible for billions of dollars of lost advertiser revenue on the on the site. So Media Matters posted this article in November which showed it had screenshots of ads for companies like Apple and Xfinity, Bravo, IBM, Oracle, et cetera, next to explicitly Nazi content. Not something that advertisers want. No, right. And and that these advertisers were already kind of backing away, it, you know, because this was a, a continuing theme since since Musk took over. And his behavior was so erratic that he he has caused advertisers to step back. So what happens is that Linda Yaccarino said that brands were protected from the risk of being next to offensive content. She had pushed really hard. Yeah, she'd explicitly said this. Exactly. And it turned out that it wasn't true. So Musk kind of went nuts and he he tweeted this. He's tweeted that the split second court opens on Monday. X Corp will be filing a thermonuclear lawsuit against Media Matters and all those who colluded in this fraudulent attack on this company. He's threatening to go after the board and the donors and the network. And so then he also tweets the internal investigation as to what happened. What happened is that Media Matters followed some of the explicitly Nazi and white supremacist content, which has proliferated on the site since Musk let all those people back on. And it refreshed its ads a lot. And maybe it kind of clicked, don't show me this ad on some of the, you know, janky crap that they're trying to sell you all the time. Like it after it X'd out, like I don't want the world's best spaghetti colander or whatever, it it started to get more of the expensive ads. And that's that's how it got what it did. But but Musk admitted that these screenshots were real. They weren't doctored. He his theory is that it was fraudulent because you know you could only get this by by playing around with the algorithm, yeah. by manipulating the algorithm. But that's not what Linda Riaccarino said. Right. Lindy Acarino said this can't happen. And so Musk got mad because Media Matters used the site in the way that 
perhaps an atypical, but a, a potential user could, and it generated this outcome, which made all of these companies mad. And indeed, those companies have almost all of them paused their advertising. I mean, it seems important that this came right around the same time he seemingly endorsed the great replacement theory on the platform. So the, there was already a lot of advertiser nervousness, and then this thing drops and they're like, yeah, forget it, I'm out of here. Right. And and that's another reason that this lawsuit is going to be kind of useless, right? Because what percentage of the damage is going to be from the Media Matters uh, article and what percentage of the damage is going to be from Musk's own erratic and, and socially unacceptable behavior? And to be clear, when your CEO has said, this is not a thing that can happen, and then it happens... Well, you know, you're not in a great position to say, well, but most of the time it doesn't happen, which is kind of the theory of his case. Like, why didn't Media Matters say all of the times it didn't happen? (laughs) Well, why didn't Media Matters report on the dog that didn't bite? You know, not an interesting story. What's Twitter X, what's the company's argument? Can you explain how they're sort of trying to position this as a free speech issue? I really can't because I don't think that it that it is. They've they've once again they haven't sued for defamation. They use the word defamation in their lawsuit, but they haven't again sued for defamation. They've sued for interference with contracts. They've said that hmm. Media Matters and CCDH are writing these articles with the explicit goal of interfering with Twitter's advertising contracts. It's kind of like, well, what you really wanted when you said this thing that's technically true is for bad stuff to happen to us and bad stuff happened to us. And so you, you know, you, you have to pay. That's, that's not a cognizable legal theory. So the things that they have said in their own in their own copy and in their own you know Twitter's blogs are we're doing this to protect free speech, but they are not treating these lawsuits to the extent that they're any kind of serious thing as they're not speech lawsuits. They, they use the word defamation, but they don't charge defamation. They charge things like you know breach of contract, interference with contract. Computer Fraud and Abuse Act because they said that CCDH improperly accessed the data, um, which which is arguable, and CCDH says it did not. When we come back, why the heck was this suit filed in Texas? Something that is very important to talk about with this case is where it was filed, in Texas. Why? Well, that's a good question. And I think it's kind of the most important indicator that this is not a real lawsuit. This Media Matters lawsuit is is really junk. So it was filed in the Northern District of Texas. That's the Fort Worth Division. That's that's the first tip-off that this is, you know, not real, that this is a performative exercise. Because the company's based in California, Media Matters is in D.C.? Right. And the reporter, Eric Hananoki, whom they've added as a defendant, is based in Maryland. Nobody lives in Texas to the extent that corporations live anywhere. So there's no there's no jurisdiction. So what courts need to have to be able to adjudicate between parties is personal jurisdiction over those parties. So a corporation has to be headquartered somewhere or to do business somewhere or to have or a, pers- a person needs to live somewhere or do business somewhere. And there is no minimum contact with Texas that would confer jurisdiction on the federal court in Fort Worth. So that's that's one thing that's, you know, a big tip off that this is baloney. And th- to have venue, which is kind of related to personal jurisdiction, but separate from it, 
there has to be an injury in the district. And Twitter just kind of yada, yada, yadas over this. It says Media Matters directed its campaign at, you know, Twitter's relationships with with its advertisers. And Twitter has a lot of, you know, users in Texas. And therefore, this was directed at Texas. Hmm. That's not a cognizable legal theory. That's a theory of universal jurisdiction anywhere in the country, right? Because Twitter could then go anywhere. Twitter could go to Nome, Alaska and say, we have a lot of users in Nome or Juneau. And so, you know, a Florida resident who tweeted something that hurt Elon Musk's feelings would be under this theory amenable to jurisdiction in in Alaska. And that's that's just not how any of this works. California, it's worth noting, has a strong anti-slap law. That stands for Strategic Lawsuit Against Public Participation. A slap suit is basically one designed to stop someone from speaking out. And Texas has much weaker anti-slap laws. But another reason that Liz says Musk and his team wanted this case in this particular jurisdiction is the judge they eventually wound up with, Reed O'Connor, a conservative stalwart. There are two issues that uh, that play, I think, almost as strongly as the slap issue. And the first is, of course, the judge, because they filed in the Fort Worth division where there are two judges. The first is Mark Pittman, a Trump appointee, and the second is Reed O'Connor, a Bush appointee. They clearly wanted to get Reed O'Connor, and they were originally assigned to Mark Pittman. Judge Pittman recused himself. Judges don't have to say why they recuse, and he did not, indeed. So now they have Reed O'Connor. O'Connor ruled that the Affordable Care Act was unconstitutional in 2018 in a, a ridiculous legal theory. It was it was poo-pooed by almost everybody. Every every serious legal person said there was no standing for this, and and indeed he, uh, he was overruled by the Supreme Court. In 2023, Judge O'Connor again attacked the ACA and ruled that its mandate for coverage of birth control and the HIV preventative drug PrEP violated employers' religious beliefs by making them, quote, complicit in facilitating homosexual behavior, drug use, and sexual activity outside of a marriage between one man and one woman. So what you're looking at here is a tremendously ideological jurist and that's that's what they wanted. That's hmm. you, and this is a problem that we're seeing kind of across the judicial system, particularly since Trump got all of these hyper conservative appointees. Right. That's why all of these cases are being filed in Texas, like the the challenge to mifepristone, uh, an abortion drug, a medication abortion drug, which was filed specifically to get Judge Matthew Kaczmarek, I believe, in Amarillo, because he's the only only judge sitting there. So you know that that's who you're going to get. That's who you're going to get. So they have filed this in in Fort Worth in an attempt to get Judge O'Connor, and and that is indeed who they got. And so if you're looking for a a terribly ideological jurist who might put up with your ridiculous theory of personal jurisdiction, this might be the one guy who's going to do it. Do you think he's going to do it? Look, I went to law school a long time ago. I'm not a practicing lawyer, but I do remember that the, you know, the first month of civil procedure, when you talked about venue and jurisdiction, they would give you hypotheticals that look just like this. And it was, it was to point you to something that was so ridiculously outside the realm of possibility that it could never happen. Right. You cannot have two litigants who have no connection to the jurisdiction at all, you know, sue each other and and avail themselves of the federal court. I, I, I do not think that this could possibly 
work. It would upend all kinds of jurisprudence, which says that there isn't universal jurisdiction. I think it would be tremendously destructive because it would basically say that any website which has readers in any place in America can sue whoever they want and drag them into court there. That's the Nome, Alaska example. And I think that would be a bridge too far, even for uh, a jurist as ideological as Judge O'Connor. One of the things that came up a lot when Elon Musk was trying to get out of buying Twitter was the discovery issue, which you referenced, right? Have a lawsuit. That means that everybody, reporters included, are going to be able to figure out what is exactly going on at your company. So if this thing goes forward, there's the potential here that Twitter is going to have to let a lot of people see what's under the hood. That feels like a questionable bargain for them. Uh, I think it's a terrible bargain for them. And I, I think, right, other other First Amendment lawyers like Ted Boutros have said, I am sure that Media Matters would love to look under the hood at Twitter and discover things like how much money it's making off of explicitly Nazi content, right? One of the things that Musk has done since he got in there is allow verified users to monetize their content. So if there are a lot of verified users who are posting explicitly Nazi content or misinformation and are monetizing it, that's something that's going to come out in discovery. And it's just, it's not going to help, right? That if the, if the issue is, Advertisers are fleeing because you guys, you being Media Matters and CCDH, have said that we're monetizing Nazi content. The fact that, you know, we're going to have to say, yes, well, we paid all of these Nazis, you know, millions of dollars to generate that content or misinformation. There's been a lot of monetization of misinformation about, say, the war in Ukraine or the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. That, that Twitter having to cop to it in public and see it in court filings will be so destructive to its relationships with advertisers that it's, you know, it's not a good bargain for them, particularly in the context of litigation, which is going to be so clearly barred by the First Amendment. This suit is filed in Texas, and yet one of the things that's also interesting here is who is representing Elon Musk. It is not the white shoe law firms that you referenced earlier in the show. No, it's it's not. It's um he's represented by Judge Stone and Chris Hilton. Both of those are guys who worked in the Texas Solicitor General's office, and um, they they both resigned to support Ken Paxton in his effort to defeat the impeachment, and they were successful in that, as we know from the end. Paxton, in addition to being a big supporter of Musk, has wielded his office as a political tool to punish his enemies, not just his own personal enemies. Although, for instance. He's he's investigated the state bar after it had the temerity to launch an investigation of him. But he he will he does things like launch investigations of parents of trans kids who get their kids medications, which he doesn't approve of. So this is a tremendously political place to file this litigation. And by selecting these lawyers, you see that Musk is angling this as a political set piece, a performative thing, not as a not as a piece of actual litigation. But I I also think it's a good signpost to show the ways that big law is kind of backing away from him. And I th- I think it's an interesting parallel hmm. to Donald Trump, who in the olden days could get firms like Jones Day, Kirkland and Ellis, firms which have a lot of lawyers, very experienced lawyers, a conservative reputation, and that they are um, no longer willing to engage in this kind of 
crap litigation for, for want of a better term. I mean, and part of the reason that he got these two lawyers, I think, was because he was in such a big hurry. Twitter is going to always be able to hire real lawyers because Twitter has so much money, right? It's not going to be a perfect analogy to Donald Trump, who has a lot of money, but not, you know, not as much as Twitter. It's not, it's not a multi-billion dollar company. The Trump yeah. campaign is a good client, but it's not that good. But the fact that he was in such a hurry to file something and he didn't care what it was and the the political nature of this venue have forced him into the arms of attorneys who are not who you'd expect to be representing a multi-billion dollar company. When do we find out if this thing is really going to go somewhere? Media Matters has hired uh, the Elias law firm, and that's that's Mark Elias. He's the former Perkins Coy lawyer who represents a whole bunch of liberal groups when they challenge voting regulations. It's not known as a First Amendment law firm, and, and there is some concern among people who are uh, First Amendment lawyers that the Elias Law Group will have to beef up its First Amendment team in this context because... It is, uh, as we've said, a hostile venue. You're looking at Judge O'Connor, you know, who is probably one of the only jurists in the country who would even entertain this theory of venue. It's been roundly rejected. The fact that you kind of can read somebody's website somewhere doesn't doesn't mean that that place is a, is an appropriate venue. So he would have to embrace this theory of universal jurisdiction. But if he does, then then you're going to need somebody who, to make a really strong First Amendment argument. And I think it's going to happen. But that case is in its it's in its nascent stage. I'm sure that the first thing that's going to happen is that these lawyers will file a motion to dismiss for lack of personal jurisdiction. And Media Matters and Hananoki, the reporter, will say, this court has no power over me because I have no relationship to Texas, you know, or for Fort Worth. I want to end on a I guess a personal note. This this was the thing that made you leave Twitter, huh? Yeah. I mean, look, I I still have my Twitter account. I haven't deleted it. I am a reporter. I have gotten a lot of work through Twitter. I have um, a lot of contacts through Twitter. I I need it. But I also am a lawyer and I write about bad litigation. That is my job, right? I, I followed the Trump litigation. I think it is performative garbage litigation. And in some sense, you have to pick your tribe. And I am also Jewish. I think that there is a tremendous amount of anti-Semitic content that it's impossible to associate yourself with. But I think that the abusive litigation, the, the fact that if you are using Twitter, you're not only paying for bad content, but you're paying for Musk to subsidize litigation, which penalizes reporters for saying things that are true. And even though I think he's going to lose these cases, that he's very clearly going to lose these cases, the fact that these media outlets have to expend time, effort, and most of all money to hire lawyers to defend them from garbage lawsuits, even though they're going to win the lawsuits, is both uh, an abuse of journalism and it's an abuse of the legal system. And as a legal journalist, I just I can't, I can't associate myself with that. I can't be part of the engine which makes money to fund this litigation. Liz Dye, thank you so much for coming on and for talking to me. Thank you. 
Liz Dye is a columnist at Above the Law. She also writes the Substack Law and Chaos Pod and is the co-host of the Opening Arguments podcast. All right, that is it for the show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell and Anna Phillips. Our show is edited by Mia Armstrong-Lopez. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate, and TBD is part of the larger What Next family. We're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you like what we are doing here, the single best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. It makes a delightful holiday gift. All right, we will be back next week with more episodes. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.